1: Hello, and welcome back to a post-merge world. Here's why you should watch today's Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. The merge is here, one of the biggest events in crypto history has just been completed. We're going to bring you a flash analysis of how it went, what's changed, and what's next. Plus, we're going to do a deep dive into the other big story in crypto right now, regulation. Stay tuned for a panel of experts led by Ash and Perry Ann Boring, the head of the world's largest trade association representing the blockchain industry. As always, we're going to break that down to key takeaways. My name is Mark Oliveira. With me, we have, as always, Ash Bennington. How are you doing, Ash? Exciting day,
2: right? I'm doing great, man. I'm a little bit tired. Got to be honest. I was up last night watching the viewing party till about uh, three thirty in the morning when it went off the air. Uh, but it was an exciting time, and uh, excited to talk about it here, Marco.
1: Yeah, definitely an exciting time. I mean, I was up myself. I couldn't stay up till three thirty. I'm not a champ like you. Uh, you know, I got to get some some sleep for the show, right? Uh, but anyways. To the viewers, don't forget to subscribe, smash the like button, hit the notification bell so you know we go live on YouTube. Join us on our Real Vision platform. Since today is not the usual day in crypto, we're gonna mix things up a little bit, starting with our top story. There's no prize for guessing what news is absolutely dominating the crypto landscape today. The long anticipated years in the making merge is finally here. This has been confirmed in a tweet by Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin. He said, quote, and we finalize, happy merge all this is a big moment for the Ethereum ecosystem. Everyone who helped make the merge happen should feel very proud today." Unquote. By very early preliminary accounts, the merge has been successful. So far, we have not heard of any major bugs, downtimes, or people losing money, which is good. But it's important to know that the merge is just hours old and we won't have a full picture for days or even weeks. Ash, let's start with the big picture. Can you recap for me what the merge is all about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is something we've talked about here on the show now. It's about the transition from proof of work to proof of stake. Uh, Proof of work uses miners and mining. Mining is very energy intensive. Uh, Proof of stake uses validators. The POS structure reduces energy consumption by about 99.9%. That number is probably not exact, but it gives you a first order um, approximation of the magnitude of this change. Uh, And also, as people in the Ethereum Foundation will tell you, this is also very much in this their view uh, about improving the security of the ethereum chain uh look it's important to point out that this is also part of a much broader roadmap we've got the merge the splurge and all of these other rhyming names uh, that are going to come up in the future uh this is about the ethereum ecosystem continuing to develop Mature and change this morning, though, and I think this is the single most important thing is what we're not talking about and what we're not talking about is a catastrophic failure. We did not see uh, any massive problems. Indeed, we haven't seen reports uh, that are there any significant challenges associated with what happened uh, last night. And I think it's it's fair to point out and to say at this moment, it's an extraordinary accomplishment. We've talked about the scale of this change for some time here on the show, uh, how it's analog, been analogized to changing the engines on a jet plane at 50,000-foot cruising altitude. So hats off to the Ethereum Foundation this morning and the Ethereum community for pulling this off. But also, I think it's an extraordinary moment for crypto in general, for open source software. The crypto community can do big things. I think that's ultimately the message here. And we're going to talk about some of the trade-offs and some of the potential downsides uh, to this later on in this show. But I do think it's a big moment that the community came together and was able to coordinate a change uh, at this scale in terms of the complexity, in terms of the really core functionality of the Ethereum network, of the Ethereum chain, got transitioned last night. uh, And there haven't been any major problems. That's something that's a, a notable accomplishment for Ethereum, and I think more generally, Marco, for the crypto space.
1: Yeah, an extraordinary moment indeed. Ash, I should say that you know I feel like it's you that popularized the statement changing the engines on a jet plane
2: at fifty thousand feet. So I got to give you credit for that. I um, don't. Th- I don't <laughs> think that's mine. I think I stole that. But it's a great. It's a great line, and you hear it in the Ethereum community. Uh, but please go on.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Uh, anyways, uh, speaking about this, obviously extraordinary moment. What are the benefits of this massive change?
2: Yeah, I talked about this earlier, energy consumption being cut by around 99 or more percent. And this is because uh, energy-hungry uh, mining is just no longer happening. Tim Bako said on the show yesterday uh, that security will be improved. Uh, indeed, at the live watch party last night with Vitalik, Vitalik said that security on the chain uh, was something that he believed uh, was going to be improved by this. Uh, so the security of the chain continues to evolve. This is obviously something that is uh, that is noteworthy because as Ethereum begins to scale, as Ethereum begins to go enter into some more. Uh, mission critical applications. Security, of course, is a top priority. Indeed, it's kind of the sine qua non. It's the the characteristic where if it doesn't exist, the chain can't exist. So I think it's really important. Uh, And um, look, you know, this is something that that we've all been looking at here. And uh, it's a big moment. And um, I think the Ethereum Foundation probably deserves a victory lap uh, today. Of course, we'll be talking about some of the downsides and some of the potential risks. But look, this is just a very positive story for crypto across the board. Well, speaking of the downsides, what do you think about them? What what are
1: the potential ones that we have?
2: Well, a couple of potential downsides here. First of all, Proof of Stake is believed uh, to concentrate power in uh, the hands of uh, the biggest Ethereum stakers. That also includes public corporations. Uh, And there are those who feel that this makes Ethereum more susceptible to pressure from regulators around the world. Um, Another sort of limitation, uh, a potential downside, is the things that won't change, at least for right now. Uh, Those are transaction fees, that's gas on the Ethereum network. uh, And broadly, the overall speed and transaction volume of the network uh, itself is not changing. I think the other thing uh, that we should probably point out is, you know, last night, I tweeted something at like, you know, 3.30 in the morning when I was sleep deprived. And in the moment, I tweeted something like, this is cool and exciting. And I got teased a little bit by Bitcoiners uh, for saying that. The Bitcoin community especially uh, would say that it's not impressed with this. They believe, I think, broadly speaking, if we want to characterize it in sort of general terms, that this makes the Ethereum network more susceptible to centralization, more susceptible to pressure. That's the feeling in the Bitcoin community. That's one perspective, and it's something that we, we shouldn't discount, and it's important to to bring all sides to the table here in this conversation, Marco.
1: Yeah, well, something else that I, I think was notable too is that Ethereum's price actually hasn't moved much. Uh, our producer Archer this morning he checked mark, uh, Coin Market Cap, and it was virtually flat on the day, up by mere like zero point zero one percent. So, I mean, it seems like investors are shrugging their shoulders at this good news. If we look at the ETH chart, it's actually down slightly at the moment. Ash, you would think with all the hype around the merge, it would have moved more. Why hasn't it?
2: Well, you know, this is sometimes often typical of financial markets. You hear the phrase that uh, you buy the rumor and sell the news. Success is probably priced in. We should also point out we're in a negative overall macro environment. It is a bear market after all. But again, I think the single most important thing to say about price, again, it's sort of this proving the negative or talking about the negative. But it's really important, I think, for people to understand what did not happen. If we'd had a catastrophic failure of the technology, we would have likely seen a catastrophic plunge in the price of Ethereum. Uh, And that did not happen. And that really is the important point. So to say it's trading down, you know, whatever it is, four tenths of 1%, look, it's basically flat. It tells you that this successful outcome was largely priced in. But again, we did not see a catastrophic failure. That would have resulted in massive downside moves, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Beyond that, we're going to have to wait and see what the impact is on the longer term to Ethereum price, Marco.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and speaking about the price, you know, we actually asked Real Vision fans on LinkedIn if they thought the merge would be a catalyst for a new bull run. The results are in. 829 people voted. 65% of people said no. Only 32% thought it would be a catalyst. You know that said another crypto we're keeping a close eye on is Ethereum Classic, right? It's a much smaller cryptocurrency with a market cap of around 5 billion compared to the 195 billion for ETH, but it seems that Ethereum Classic could be emerging as a possi- possible alternative for miners who want to continue mining after the merge. It is the original Ethereum after all, right? It was the the legacy blockchain following the 2016 hard fork. It's doing better than ETH price-wise at the moment. Decrypt is reporting that the data from twominers.com shows mining activity known as the hash rate has surged to an all-time high. Ash, is there potential for further upheaval in the crypto market? What other coins could be affected by this merge?
2: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, we should say that poll is not scientific. It's something that we put out on Twitter, uh, so it's not a scientific poll. Uh, look, etc. Eth Classic. Also, we have the ETHW. This is the the IOU uh, being traded right now for Ethereum Proof of Work. There are always these splinter coins. It reminds me a little bit of the blockchain uh, size wars, the Bitcoin size wars back in 2017. You see things like BSV, uh, Bitcoin Cash uh, develop, and 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 you know historically those have not been uh, significant significant players, at least relative to the type of market capitalization you see in the main chain. Uh, look there are still some open questions to your point about the impact on layer two blockchains this is about interoperability Uh, it's important to note that we haven't heard any signs this morning that there have been significant challenges with interoperability that's obviously a good sign you know just the unscientific scrolling through twitter this morning uh, we haven't heard about any l2 failures so again i think this is really a day in many ways we're talking about the things that did not occur we didn't see anything uh, with those interoperability issues but important to note we're going to have to keep watching them we're only Uh, gosh, whatever it is, six and a half hours in. uh, I didn't sleep a whole lot last night. (laughs) Right. Knock on wood, right? Yeah. So we got to, you know,
1: speaking of good sides and good vibes, let's get a sense of how the community is feeling through some tweets. We've shown you Vitalik's already. Here's one from Tim Bako, a member of the Ethereum Foundation. He was just on the the, the daily briefing yesterday. He tweeted, we're good. It's done. We merge. Amazing work, everyone. We ran our interview with Tim about the merge yesterday. As I just said, go check it out if you haven't already. Another tweet is from Yuga Labs, the company behind the Bored Apes Yacht Club and other massively popular NFT collections. They said, quote, congratulations to the entire Ethereum team on a successful merge. This is a a historic moment for us all and a big step in scaling Ethereum to its first billion users. We hope you're celebrating this morning. We sure are. And finally, the legendary former boxer Mike Tyson is all business. He tweeted this question, Solana or ETH 2.0? Question mark. Sorry, Mike, we can't give you financial advice on the show. (laughs) But um, Ash, this is a momentous day for crypto. There are virtual parties, apparently an actual one in Prague this weekend. What are your final thoughts on this story?
2: You know, final thoughts are it's a big day for Ethereum. We'll be watching to see if any bugs develop, of course, either in the Ethereum chain itself or in some of the L2 networks. Uh, and, you know, again, we should point out that centralization is a risk that's been discussed. Many people have raised that point. But look, at the end of the day here, it's a big day for ETH. And I think it's a big day for the crypto world in general. Whatever you think of the politics of staking, uh, whether you believe that it increases centralization or you think it has manifold benefits in terms of energy reduction, it shows that the crypto community can do big things. You know, I tweet a Last night, that watching that live launch party with Vitalik and folks from the Ethereum Foundation, it felt a little bit like watching a space shuttle launch. And and maybe that's not really the correct metaphor. Maybe it's more like uh, like those those photos, those old uh, photos you see from the nineteen sixties with the guys in their suits and the ladies with their beehive hairdos watching the landing on the moon. It was a really exciting moment, uh, and I think and I think ju- justifiably and deservedly so because this really was a, a significant transition. And again, I've said it before earlier in the show, Marco. It shows the crypto community. It shows that. Open OpenSoft software in concert with the cryptocurrency community can really do huge things. Uh, so this was a big moment. And, um, and I think it's sort of like tease it up for the future, for the things that we're going to see uh, to come. I think people will be emboldened by this. They'll be excited by this. Uh, and we're going to probably see a lot more energy and enthusiasm around some of the future transitions in the space because it did, in fact, go so well, Marco.
1: Yeah, it's very meaningful. It's like the culmination of years of hard work. So I definitely think everyone involved, everyone that's in the community should be celebrating today. Like you said, it's good that there's no bad news, right? So uh, definitely something that it's just, it's just good. It's great news. I'm really happy about it. Another hot topic in crypto right now is regulation. Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC, the US Securities and Exchange Commission is set to testify in the Senate today. In prepared remarks that have been published, he states that most crypto tokens are securities. He says, he will say the centralized and decentralized platforms will need to register with the SEC. Gensler believes an aggressive regulator is necessary to maintain the U.S. as the quote unquote gold standard. One example of a years long crypto battle in Washington, D.C. is this lack of approval for spot Bitcoin ETFs and the Chamber of Digital Commerce, an advocacy group for crypto, has been at the forefront of this fight. Perianne Boring, the chamber's founder and a panel of regulation experts, joined you, Ash, to discuss this battle and their recent report, The Crypto Conundrum. Alongside Perianne, we have Mike Castiglione, director of Regulatory Affairs and Digital Assets at Aventus. I hope I said that correctly. And Greg King, founder and CEO of Osprey Funds. Let's start off with Perry Ann's breakdown of why there is still no spot Bitcoin ETF.
3: The SEC's official justification for denying applications, it's remained the same over the past, it's been about nine years since the first company um, applied for a spot Bitcoin ETF. And despite there being significant uh, maturation as well as institutionalization of the market um, and the industry addressing the SEC's concerns, um, it we haven't really moved the needle on, on, on getting this done. But their initial um, issues have been around market manipulation. And so right. it was the Winklevoss um, who applied for the first spot Bitcoin ETF in 2013. Um, And after that, the SEC opposed on the industry, this unprecedented requirement that has come to be named the Winklevoss standard. And it says that an applicant has to, um, one, they said, you need to have these surveillance sharing agreements in place, which once we got Bitcoin futures, um, the CME group had these surveillance sharing arrangements and infrastructure set up. So they met that. And then the FCC said, oh, well, you have to prove that price discovery is happening on the CME and not the crypto exchanges. And uh, there's been a, a number of studies that have been provided that, that, that show to a significantly significant basis that price discovery is happening on the CME. Um, so at this point, A lot of our members feel like there is no data that could ever be provided to the SEC at this point that would change their position. They've been given all the data they need. Um, Secondly, nobody else is required. Uh, Other industries have not been required to provide this type of information or go through these types of hoops. And maybe Greg can speak to that in detail because, of course, his ETF experience predates Bitcoin um but it it does come down to that market manipulation piece which again we we detail in um in the report a, a number of different ways how the, the industry has addressed those concerns
1: you know, Ash, it's really interesting to learn that the SEC has been using the same justification to reject Bitcoin ETS for the past nine years. It really does seem the regulators hold digital assets to a higher standard. As Perry mentioned, the Winklevoss standard, as it's dubbed. In another part of the interview, she put it down to politics. Ash, what do you think about the comments here on the Winklevoss
2: standard and the SEC's justifications? Well, you know, Marco, it's not really my role to take a position one way or the other on SEC guidelines or rulings, but but I want to add some color here because the important point, I think, is Perry anns view from her chair running the Chamber of Digital Commerce. She spends a great deal of time talking to market participants, so it's a window into that perspective. Market manipulation, as Perianne points out, is one of the most often cited reasons for why a BTC spot ETF doesn't yet exist. I'll say this. I talk to people both on and off the record here on the show and you know, across the city and uh, and on the phone and on Zoom calls, and I hear market manipulation cited as well uh, as the reason why SEC is concerned about this. And in, in the view of the people I speak to, it does appear that that is, in fact, a sincere concern. You know, look, as Perianne points out, the standard is different for digital assets, but the asset class is different as well. So I haven't gone through the price discovery data myself that uh, Perianne mentions. And even if I did, I'm not a digital market microstructure expert. But look, Perianne makes a compelling argument here, as she always does when she joins us on Real Vision. Uh, But there are clearly those at SEC who believe that there's a risk to investors, Marco.
1: Yeah, a risk to investors for sure, but also a risk of falling behind. As we discuss in this next clip, our panelists, yeah. they falling behind other jurisdictions. Let's hear what they have to say about that.
3: Yeah, you know, I think we can all share the SEC's wants and concerns. And at, at the the top of that is investor protections. Um so they I don't think their concerns are unjustifiable, but it's just how we've gotten to where we are today is is definitely a head scratcher. but you would think if that if that is their goal um that they would want to have a spot bitcoin e t f come come to market because the absence of one means that retail investors are forced to invest in bitcoin alone they are not able to get. Um direct access to Bitcoin um, investments through their financial advisory relationships or under the SEC's um, the protections of their registration and disclosure frameworks. So having this product come to market would bring with it all sorts of protections for the retail investor, which at, at the end of the day you know, should be what we're prioritizing. But, you know, it seems as though that's not what we've prioritized in the sense since.
2: It really is something of a paradox, isn't it?
3: Yeah, that's why we're calling it the it's, crypto it's, conundrum.
1: Yeah. <laughs> One more thing to add yeah. is, uh, if you look at other jurisdictions, other markets, you know, um, Canada, Germany, Sweden, uh, I believe Switzerland, they they all have the option uh, to purchase crypto through a uh, spot ETF, um, so we certainly can learn about how these products are operating overseas, uh, see if there are any problems, um, and and learn from um, these other other markets. So this is is you know this is this would not this would not be an unprecedented
3: uh, move on the U.S.'s part. But. Yeah, no, we, I mean we we looked at that in detail um, in the report. We even interviewed some of the issuers. Um in other jurisdictions. Um, Australia as well has bought crypto ETFs. And, and some of these countries have even brought um uh, Ether ETFs. So um we have you know, I think as a country, we've really fallen behind other jurisdictions. Um, you know, traditionally the United States is at the forefront of financial and technological innovation, but not here. Um and uh and from a US competitiveness perspective, um, you know it 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 certainly um i think makes us less competitive um and there have been no reported instances of hackings or thefts or indications of market manipula- market manipulation related to um other bitcoin etfs um that are listed on other international exchanges so we looked at that in detail Um, uh, throughout this. So another kind of piece of the, the conundrum as to why we don't have one here in the United States.
1: So Ash, I know you speak to many people involved in regulation. You're following this closely. What do you make of this clip? Is the U.S. falling behind other jurisdictions?
2: Why is this important? Well, you know, Marco, I think you said it exactly right in your remarks prior to the clip that you have, on the one hand, uh, investor protection, and on the other, the competitiveness of of the United States. So I think it is absolutely a balancing act. And I think it's perfectly reasonable for people, uh, I think they can and should be concerned about this question. You know, uh, the reality is, I think it's perfectly uh, appropriate uh, and permissible for the United States to pursue global competitiveness as one of its goals, indeed, as it would be for any nation around the world to do the same. You know, Mike makes the point about, other jurisdictions where people can buy uh, products uh, through ETFs, specifically crypto products through ETFs. Uh, and he talks about Canada, Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, and Australia, uh, Perianne ads. So this isn't a theoretical risk. You know, there are people who are buying financial products uh, that basically are the uh, equity stakes in companies traded in the US who are then those companies are then buying foreign products. So you can actually see. Uh, some of this challenge unfolding here in real time. Again, not a theoretical risk. You know, I think it's important to point out that the United States led the world uh, in the Web One and Web Two revolution. And I think, in my view, at least, crypto is that important. Indeed, I think crypto is the internet. It's the, it's just the culmination, uh, of the solving of problems that hadn't been solved by Internet Web uh, by Web One and Web Two. You know I could be wrong, of course. but you know the point is that I really hope this gets resolved soon because it is important for the United States to maintain its leadership, I think, in in tech, in finance, and in fintech and all the things that we talk about here on this show, Marco.
1: yeah, and I think it's important for them to maintain their leadership in investor protections as well. You know right. Perian mentioned this. she builds she kind of builds on her previous statement and illustrates why Bitcoin ETS would benefit investors. Let's hear what she has to say about it.
3: Well, we talked about the the retail investors having additional investor protections by being able to invest alongside with the advice of their financial advisors and under the full protections that the SEC's disclosure frameworks provide. So there's that. Um, the other is there, there's incredible demand for cryptocurrencies. The White House in their executive order that was issued earlier this year found that there's tens of millions of American households who are already owning cryptocurrencies. Um, so there is a lot of interest, but it is um, reported um, based on a different you know, different studies that up to 23% of all the Bitcoin in circulation is actually locked in wallets that people lost their keys to. So Bitcoin is unique. Right. It's uh you you have to know um how to address public and private key um uh, best practices. You have to you know un, you know understand you know what it means to lose your keys. I admittedly have lost keys before. It's a very painful process, um and it and it and it's easy to do and it, it it's unique to other asset classes. So um I think having um traditional financial services companies providing regulated products could could fix a lot of these investor protection issues that again I, I think we all care about. Um, but despite this, Bitcoin's moving on. The cryptocurrency space is going to continue to move forward, whether the United States wants to support the adoption of this technology and this asset class. Or not. And what's at risk is that the U.S. may not be the leading jurisdiction in this space. And I think that's a huge thing to see to other jurisdictions and would be one of the biggest mistakes of our generation if we let that happen.
1: So Ash, here we have Perianne making a strong case for how big spot Bitcoin ETFs can help protect investors. She mentioned investors being able to invest alongside their financial advisors. She talked about private keys. What are your thoughts on her argument? What's the significance here?
2: you know marco i think big picture the point that perian is making here is that cryptocurrency is unique as an asset class and specifically it has those challenges around custody i think many of us remember the story from last year about the german programmer who got locked out of his iron key flash drive with his private keys that controlled bitcoin that at the time was worth about a quarter of a billion dollars you know her point is that self-custody isn't for everyone Uh, And if people want to get exposure to digital assets without having custody of them, uh, it would be favorable for them to get that exposure via an ETF. What what else can you say? It's a strong point, Marco. Absolutely a strong
1: point. You know, speaking of all the points that that have been in the previous clips, these clips have done a great job of illustrating the problem. But that begs the question, what happens next? How are things going to move forward? And in this final clip, we hear from our panelists about two possible scenarios we might see play out. Let's take a listen
3: we're um, encouraging our policymakers to provide oversight into what's happened at the SEC. So um, Congress has jurisdiction over the Securities and Exchange Commission and they will have the ability to question and subpoena and uh, bring um, the commission to testify under oath um, about what's happened here. So there's really kind of two two opportunities um, or two, two directions this could go. One is Congress could pass a law, um, could legislate and bring their oversight authority to help move this forward to get a Bitcoin ETF to market. The other path is litigation. And of course, that process has already started um, as well. There's at least one company, Grayscale, who's um, uh, asserted that Uh, it will be challenging the SEC's decision to deny their Bitcoin ETF application. um, And they're bringing a case um, on the grounds of arbitrary and capricious um, activity, uh, violations of the Administrative Procedures Act, as well as unfair discrimination um, between the issuers. So um, Congress may get involved. um, That's very possible. um, And the courts may have to settle this. Uh, but they don't have to. The SEC has the authority to do the right thing um, and to allow a spot Bitcoin ETF to come to market. And and you know m- maybe they will. Um, but I I think this is a, a a win, not an if. It's just been a long and difficult road uh, for the companies who are are looking to offer products in this market.
0: Well, and for the investors who are looking to invest in this market, you know they've had. Um, a lot of suboptimal choices for a while. I mean, you have at this point, to comment on the state of play and where things might go, you have publicly traded ETFs that, um, that hold crypto related stocks uh, as a way that folks are trying to get crypto exposure. And those ETFs, those US based ETFs themselves often try to um, gain a little bit of Bitcoin exposure. And you know how they do this? They buy Canadian ETFs, or they buy products from from Europe, and so I mean this is this is kind of craziness to me. It goes to uh, the mindset of the regulator. You know, the the image that kind of keeps that coming for me is, you know, we've all been on hikes where there's like guardrails and kind of a cliff dropping off. And what if you're in charge of the guardrails and you notice that there's a path being cut, like a shortcut? and it's well-trod and you can see that people are going outside of where you've designed for them to go. The question is, are you going to try and force them back onto that path when clearly they don't want to do that and they keep going around it in bigger and bigger numbers for years and years and years? Or are you going to just put some guardrails up there because your job is to protect them? So uh, to me, it's a mindset issue. Um, And to be fair, we also have a fragmentation of regulators issue in the US. We've got the CFTC as well. We have banking regulators, I mean, things that have happened in crypto lately with, you know, online, you know, high yield based accounts right. blowing up. I mean, that was outside the purview. So we don't really have a situation where there's one central authority. And so I personally believe that Congress will need to act. Um, but I also think we could benefit from a different mindset at the SEC.
1: So here we have Perianne talking about litigation. She said the courts may have to settle this unless the SEC makes a change or Congress steps in. Greg King also made a great analogy about investor protections. Ash, what are your thoughts here?
2: Yeah, on litigation, it's probably important to point out that Grayscale has already filed a petition for review in federal court in Washington, DC. But I also want to pick up on Greg's point. Greg points out the irony of publicly traded companies. I talked about this a little bit uh, in clip two. Publicly traded companies are essentially buying Canadian ETFs to get exposure to Bitcoin or buying European products to get exposure to Bitcoin. These are public companies that are traded in the United States. That's a little bit weird, right? That's a sort of a counterintuitive thing. uh, And one of the challenges about regulation. He also talks about he being Greg, of course, talks about regulatory fragmentation. I think this is a really interesting point. It's one that we've covered here on Real Vision in the past. How SEC, CFTC, IRS look at Bitcoin and other different digital assets? You know, part of this fragmentation, I suspect, is inevitable because regulators were never set up to deal with uh, things that resemble financial products in many ways, but in other ways function like software. Uh, so laws, regulations, the courts, precedents—you know, these things don't move at the speed of software. They obviously move much slower, and that really is a key challenge in the space more broadly, Marco, and one that we'll be watching here as it creates these sort of unusual circumstances
1: a key challenge indeed you know these are great clips for viewers who are interested the full version of the interview is available on our youtube channel real vision youtube real vision crypto youtube check it out So let's jump into this next segment where we talk about the takeaways. Here's what I think viewers can take away from this expert panel on regulation. A US Bitcoin ETF doesn't exist yet. The SEC has rejected every application since 2013, citing market manipulation as one of the top reasons. According to the panel's view, it seems that the issue is not really about substance, but about politics. Why does this matter? Well, not having a Bitcoin ETF could lead the US to fall behind other jurisdictions, and that's not good. We want the US to remain a leader in the crypto space, a leader in investor protections. And as Perianne and the panel have illustrated, a Bitcoin ETF can definitely do that. What happens next, who knows? But like you mentioned, Ash, laws and regulations don't move at the speed of software, so we may have to keep an eye on this for a while. At Evernorth Health Services, Well, moving on to the final segment of our show, viewer questions. Our first one comes from JJ Amo. If stakers are incentivized to judge the trustworthiness of validators, doesn't that create a centralization pressure? Ash, what are you thinking here?
2: JJ, great, great question. Theoretically, what you're saying makes sense. You know, the reality is this is uh, you know some six hours old, uh, and we're gonna have to wait out to see how it plays out actually in practice. But theoretically, I think that is a, a fair question to pose, JJ.
1: Well, and our next question here from Shashank Rai, is the merge likely to increase enterprise adoption of the blockchain?
2: Shashank, that's certainly the uh, hope of the Ethereum community. I would probably just say that obviously we pointed this out earlier. This is part of a much broader roadmap of which the merge is only the first part. I think the scaling issue uh, that's going to come in the next component of, the, of this uh, transition is an important one uh, in terms of being able to increase, the, uh, increase the, the transaction volume on the layer one chain and also hopefully to reduce costs. Potentially, this is uh, sharding, something we're going to be talking about. But certainly, Shashank, I think that's right. That's the goal.
1: We should say we should say that Shashank also made some lovely comments about you, Ash. She says, "I love Ash's caveats. Hard to come across people like him with such a balanced view in crypto." I thought defining a benchmark for decentralization was going to be key in identifying whether uh, a coin is a security or commodity. Oh, so there's a question in there too. Uh, is yep. that still the case? Is that is that still the case? What do you think, Ash?
2: Well, first, thank you, uh, Shashank. This is something that we're obviously very passionate about here at Real Vision, but also it's important to maintain this balance because there are a lot of different perspectives. There are a lot of different risks and potential opportunities here. Uh, In terms of the benchmark for decentralization, I'm just reading through the question uh, now and whether it is, in fact, a security or a commodity. This is something that uh, Chair Gensler was out uh, talking about this morning, or I should say his prepared remarks were released ahead of his speech. Uh, And that's certainly one of the questions. Uh, Chair Gensler uh, effectively says that he believes uh, that most of the things that are trading right now are in fact securities. Uh, so we're going to have to see. I think that, um, you know, the idea of decentralization is an important component of that. But this is something that we're going to see play out, not just in the technological sphere, but also in the legal and regulatory sphere as well. And I think this is really a key issue that we're all going to be looking at. But I think that's right. Shashank. I think that it is one of the major inputs uh, that people are going to make in regulatory circles and in the courts and making that determination. At least it seems to be the case based on what's been said in the past.
1: Well, Ash, as you mentioned Gensler, there was actually a question on Twitter from all the kegs. He was saying with Gensler coming out and saying that Bitcoin is a commodity, wouldn't that take the spot ETF approval or denial decision off of the SEC's desk? What are your thoughts there?
2: Great question, kegs. I'm not a lawyer, um, but my guess is probably not because if it trades on US equity exchanges, it's probably regulated by SEC. Uh, That's just my guess. Again, not a lawyer, but I, I don't think it would.
1: Perfect, perfect. And so the next question here from Ralph Humphrey on our Real Vision website, what is the benefit of a spot Bitcoin ETF as opposed to the futures-based ones available now? Uh, there's some further comments there where he says, the futures seem por- uh, pretty uh, correlated to the uh, Bitcoin price. Is there, a le- is there less of a risk of the discount premium to the NAV issues present with OTC funds like GBTC or E?
2: Oh, boy, these are really technical questions uh, in terms of the valuation and uh, the legal mechanics of how these things are structured. In terms of open-ended funds or closed-ended funds, I believe the general consensus opinion uh, is that ETPs tend to track those with less loss and less slippage. And I believe that's one of the key issues uh, involved with why there's desire for a Bitcoin spot. You basically are getting kind of a derivative of a derivative when you're getting an exchange-traded product that trades a future. I think the idea here is capital efficiency uh, and the ability for the uh, for the products basically to stay in sync from a uh, from a price point, which is also uh, which is also one of the challenge on some of the OTC funds uh, that you mentioned uh, earlier in your question, Ralph. But great question.
1: Yeah, great question. Actually, great question to everyone. Thank you so much for submitting your questions. Remember to always submit them when we're on. We we want to hear from you so we can be answering these questions, engage with you as much as we can. And Ash, as always, thank you for your insights today. Thank you for answering those questions. You've been, you know, an amazing guests. So thank you again for for all of the information you're providing us.
2: It's, it's especially fun on a day like today, obviously, uh, when we saw this huge story just a couple of hours ago, and it's, it's fun to come on and, and sort of wade into the news stream and do this analysis and do this on site and unpack this for people, because I think it's obvious, very clear from the questions there. People have a lot of questions. Uh, it's very early, uh, but it's, it's great to come in and try and uh, make heads or tails of this, try and make sense of these very complicated questions, uh, and uh, it's a pleasure to do it here with you, Marco.
1: Awesome, man. Well, that's it for today's show, everyone. Thank you for watching. As always, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, smash that like button, hit that notification bell so you know when we upload and when we go live. Remember, this is your show. We want to hear from you on what's working, what's not. Drop a comment down below. Give us your feedback. Let us know what guests you want to see, what themes we should cover. We appreciate you sharing your time with us today. Tomorrow, we've got a great episode of Rouse Adventures in Crypto with John Wu, president of Ava Labs. It's a really, really, really good one. Subscribe to Real Vision Crypto on the website for free to watch it. Just go to realvision.com forward slash crypto. See you next week live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.